You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Good morning, Elam Lutheran Church. It is great to be with you, and I am so thankful this morning that God's Word is not limited by time or space or any of the constraints we typically like to put on it. But God's Word is living and active, and it is speaking, and it is going to speak to us today. So the text for this morning's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Verses 22 through 35. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with me. That's Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. It goes like this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful story of Christmas. Thank you that Christmas is a season that continues, and And Lord, as we read through our story this morning, the story of Simeon and the blessing that Jesus and his parents receive at the temple, I pray that you would be present here among us, God, to to speak a blessing over us, to to cut us to our hearts, God, to reveal our need for you. But then also, God, to to point us toward the good news, which is, as always, Jesus Christ. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. So the Chellog family has a two-and-a-half-year-old, she's close to three now, running around our house. And that makes for some pretty exciting, interesting times. Uh, Marigold is at this age where she's starting to really interact with the world around her. She's starting to interact with her parents more, and that makes it a lot of fun for everyone. But it's a learning curve. It's definitely a learning curve. And Marigold's least favorite word of all time right now, in her entire vocabulary, is wait. Wait. It doesn't matter if it's for four seconds 
or if it's for 10 or 15 minutes, just the very word, hearing that word wait, you can just see it in her eyes. It's, she's like, ah, not this again, not this again, please. And I was thinking about that, and I was re- reflecting upon it, and it's easy for us to look down on a two-and-a-half-year-old and kind of shake our heads and roll our eyes and be like, oh, my goodness, what is wrong with this child? Like, seriously, you, it, is it that difficult to wait four minutes while your mom gets your breakfast to you on the table? But then I thought, you know, I'm kind of like that, too. I don't love to wait. I'm not very good at waiting, whether it's waiting in the deer stand for that big buck to walk by, waiting for the cookies to get done in the oven, waiting for a movie to buffer for like four seconds. It feels like death to me. I am not good at waiting. So what about you? Scale of one to ten, where would you put yourself as far as your ability to wait? Are you pretty good at at waiting Go to your profile on eHarmony, and it says, uh, enjoys long walks on the beach, a good meal, and waiting. Probably not too many of us. It turns out that Tom Petty was right in the end. Waiting is the hardest part. My guess is that as you reflect on your own life, or maybe even right now, you can identify periods of time when you felt like you were in a waiting room, just kind of an in-between season when you're waiting for the next big thing to happen. Many of you know that before I became a pastor, I was an engineer for four years. And after I'd been in it for maybe three, probably close to four, I was really starting to get this sense of discontent. God was allowing a sense of discontent to grow within me in order to drive me in a different direction. And so I knew I wouldn't be an engineer forever. The problem was I didn't know what I would be next. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know when it was coming. I didn't know how it was coming. And so I I had all these conversations with mentors and family and friends talking about, you know, what what is next for Luke? What is this this map of Luke's life looked like and, and what is coming next because it very much felt like I was in a waiting room. I didn't know what was going to happen. And this was incredibly frustrating because it's really, really hard to wait. And you know, as we reflect back on the past two to three years and we think of the rise of the pandemic, my guess is that for most of you, there has been a lot of waiting during this period. I was on the East Coast when the pandemic first broke out, really close to the epicenter in New York City. And I I remember how terrifying it was because we didn't know what was happening. Uh, We didn't know how dangerous, how contagious, you know, this thing. We didn't know how it, it spread even, at the very beginning at least. And so we kind of entered this period of waiting because there was talk of maybe uh, some treatment or a vaccine. So, so we were waiting for that treatment or the vaccine to be developed. And finally, when we got to the, the vaccine, when the vaccine was here, we were kind of promised that things will go back to normal. Coronavirus pandemic over. It's all in the rearview mirror, right? Well, we got the vaccine and we discovered there are these things called variants and all sorts of new complex ways that this virus would mutate. And so we have to get booster shots now. And uh, so all of this to say that we're just waiting 
for one thing or the next or the next or the next to make life better, to return it to some sense of normalcy. So what about you? What waiting season are you in right now? What are you waiting for in life? I'm going to say something right now that may come as a bit of a shock, and it may not be abundantly clear off the bat, but it is nonetheless true. Every single one of us is waiting for a Savior. Whether you know it or not, whether you are a Christian or not, you are waiting for a Savior. Because what is a Savior? A Savior is one who saves. A Savior is one who comes to make everything better, to to rectify the situation, to right all of the wrongs that are going on in this world. When we look around and we see how messed up things are, we look to different places, people, things, events, etc. to make it right again. You see, we're all searching for a Savior. In our text this morning, we have this gentleman by the name of Simeon. Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel, which is just another way of saying he was waiting for salvation. One thing I love about Simeon is that we know very little about him. We don't know how long he was waiting. We don't know what the guy did. We just know that he was righteous and a godly man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Could have been a really, really long time. In all likelihood, this seems like he was an elderly gentleman. But we don't know for sure. And I think that's comforting because in that, we can know that whatever waiting season we are in, whether that be short or long or or whatever, uh, there is a place for that in our lives. And there is a place uh, where God will meet us there in that waiting room. And so... We have Simeon, and Simeon is waiting. And Israel, in fact, had been waiting for a really, really long time for a Savior. When we go back and look at the Old Testament, we see again and again there is this promise that this Messiah was going to come, someone who would save God's people, who would who would forgive them from their sins, who would bring salvation, and who they thought was going to overthrow the Romans and set up a new earthly kingdom that was all power and glory, kind of like a, a Jewish Hercules or, or something like that, riding in to save the day. But then there's this 400-year period where God just goes silent, like he maintains radio silence for 400 years. This is the time between the Old and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period lasted for over four centuries. You have Malachi, the last prophet, and until we get to Matthew, we have no audible promises from God. So Israel had been waiting for a really, really long time, and expectations of of the Messiah had been growing and and building. And so, so that is helpful for us to know because it sets the backdrop against which this story for this morning plays out. So we have Mary and Joseph, right? And Mary and Joseph, keep in mind that at this point as they're they're making their way to the temple, they're doing this for two different reasons. One is Mary would have to offer a sin offering and a burnt offering in order to make her clean again. 
So for 40 days after a woman gave birth to a male, they were considered unclean. And they would make their way to the temple in Jerusalem where they would offer a sacrifice of a lamb and either two turtle doves or or pigeons. Uh, But Mary and Joseph, they were poor, so they only offered the turtle doves. So they come from this kind of lower class family in all likelihood. And they bring Jesus there. And at this point, Jesus is a little more than a month old. And this is their first kid. And I don't know about you, but if you can reflect back on your first kid at one month old, I can imagine kind of what was going through your mind because it was going through my mind too. And, and what it was really is not a whole lot because my brain was so fuzzy I could hardly put one foot in front of the other, right? You're thinking, what did, I, what did we get ourselves into here? What, what's going on? How do we keep this thing alive? So you've got Mary and Joseph who have just made this, this trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. This couple of bedraggled parents that have come to the temple, barely getting into to church for the morning sort of thing. You know, we can all identify with that. And as they do this, this guy, who they don't know from Adam, his name is Simeon. Now, Simeon wasn't like a greeter at the door to the temple. It wasn't his job to, to come up to people and pick their babies up and put them in his arms. But that's exactly what Simeon does here. He walks up to Mary and Joseph. He takes baby Jesus in his arms and he, he blesses him with these words. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn them one more time back to our passage for today, which is Luke 2, verses 22 through 35. And we hear this blessing from Simeon. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And what does Simeon see? Well, he doesn't see a conquering king. He doesn't see a a Jewish general or a really strong person of power. He sees a a 40-day-year-old baby, maybe crying, maybe, you know, with, with dirty diapers. He sees this and he says, this is what salvation looks like because the Holy Spirit had to reveal that to him. What a strange thing, isn't it? What a strange thing to look at a baby boy, a one-month-old child, and to say, here is the Savior. Here is salvation. Salvation is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, it's fascinating to look at what's going on here as well because when Mary comes forward to offer these sacrifices at the temple, Mary and Joseph, they do this. And so there there are a lot of details that go into offering a sacrifice. But what's interesting here 
is that none of those details are really focused on. And when we're reading through the Gospels, we should pay careful attention to what's included as well as what's excluded because the author wants to tell us something by specifically what he chooses to include or exclude. And he doesn't include the details of the sacrifice. Instead, the focus here is entirely on Jesus Christ. He's trying to focus on Jesus. And the other thing that was happening here was, in addition to Mary offering the sacrifice for her ritual cleanliness, and likely Joseph's as well, because Joseph would have been near her and so would have been himself unclean, but in addition uh, to that, there was a tradition that was done where the firstborn, this is commanded in the Old Testament, the firstborn was to come to the temple in order to be redeemed, is the word. And so they would pay a a five-shekel tax or a a fee, and then they would redeem their firstborn child. Well, interestingly enough, there is no mention again of the fee, of the price that was paid for the redemption, although that certainly may have been the case. But Luke didn't include that. Why? Well, because Jesus himself is that sacrifice, and is that Redeemer. See, Luke is placing Jesus in the setting and the context of this temple here to show Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of the law, as the ultimate sacrifice who gives everything, who sacrifices his own blood, who is going to not only be born in a manger, but to live and to die on a cross in order to save the world from its brokenness in order to bring salvation, in order to make things right. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. It says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's talking about Jesus here. He says, when when that priest, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, the crucifixion, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, Jesus made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus as the sacrifice, Jesus as the Redeemer, Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of the law. This is what's going on here. This is the picture that is being painted. We're all in a a period of, of waiting. We all have these seasons when we feel like we're in the waiting room of life, just kind of waiting for something to come that's going to make our life situation better, a housing situation or a particular relationship to be resolved or some person or event that are, that's going to make things okay. We're all looking for a savior. The thing that we discover is in that waiting room, 
our Savior is in fact right there with us. Let me say that again. Our Savior is right there in the waiting room with you and with me. The lie that we often choose to believe at these times, during these these waiting periods, is that God is not acting, right? Maybe he acted before and he's going to act after, but that's what we're we're waiting for, right? And kind of this in-between sort of buffering of life. God's not active. God's not really present, or at least he's present in like a kind of a lesser sort of way. But the reality, though, is that God is there in the waiting. He's there in the person of Jesus Christ to love you, to care for you, to act every moment, to intervene for you. He is on your side. This is the God, in the words of one of my favorite artists, this is the God forever on your side. And how do we know that? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. So whatever waiting room you may find yourself in right now, whatever waiting room you find yourself in today, this morning, God is with you. He's near to you. He's holding your hand, acting on your behalf. See, God is not waiting to be your Savior. He is your Savior. Yesterday, now, and forever. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.